0: Welcome to the seventh episode of the FMWC podcast. My name is Camila Alibi and I'm your host. And today I have the pleasure of being joined by Julia, who is a second year medical student at the University of Ottawa. Hello, Julia. Hi, Camilla. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. So, Julia, you are one of five Black students in your class. And this podcast, we're going to be speaking with a Black physician. And so what has been your experience as a Black medical student so far?
1: Yeah, so my journey has actually been quite positive. I mean, obviously, before I got into med school, I was a bit worried that I may have been the only black person in my class. But I quickly discovered that we were actually about five and I became good friends with a couple other black students in my class. So I would even go as far as to say that these friendships have really been the reason why I have been blessed enough to have such a positive experience, because these have been the things that have carried me through my medical school journey so far, for sure.
0: I'm so glad to hear you've had such a positive experience, Julia, and I'm curious to hear what our guest has to say as well. So our guest is Dr. Awurabena Simpson, who is a pediatric hematology oncologist at CHEO, which is the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. Dr. Simpson received her medical degree at McGill in 2005 and completed her general pediatric training. And her fellowship in oncology and hematology at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. And she is currently the Assistant Vice Dean of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. So thank you, Dr. Simpson, for joining us. I want to ask to start off the podcast what has been your journey as a Black physician through training, in residency, and now as a staff?
2: All of our journeys are unique and I was really fortunate in that it was very early on that I knew that I wanted to pursue medicine and although I don't I didn't have any physicians in my family I had or I have parents who have been very supportive um, when it came to my interests and endeavors and so largely because I had the support of my family um, and also you know my extended family you know being Ganyan um, we have our aunties and uncles who also, you know, adopt us, who are our family friends, but become aunties and uncles and really uh, also helped me along the way when it came to getting experiences related to medicine and also, you know, um, navigating the application process where I had help to practice interviews. I had um People who were helpful to give me feedback um, when it came to my my personal statement and to really help me to put together the best application that I could. you know I had the grades and i I you know I felt the application process was a bit of a black box, but I think because I had a lot of support and people who were rooting for me, that really made the difference um, and helped me to get to where I wanted to be. It takes and, a village <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> It absolutely does, and you know, not everybody has that. And I, I, I fully recognize how fortunate I was to have that support. And you know, once I started medical school, which was at McGill, um, I was very surprised and somewhat disappointed to find that in my class of 133 students, I was the only black student, and that was really eye-opening and surprising for me. Although it wasn't the first time I was the only black student, where through elementary school, high school, there were periods where I was the only Black student in my class, but I had thought that, you know, things would be different once I got to, you know, my goal of getting into medicine, and that was something that was hard, and that when you don't see people who look like you or share your experience, it's hard to see yourself doing um, what they are doing or finding role models to help to, to drive and motivate you to get to your ultimate goal to be a physician. So that was something that was tough. Absolutely, I
1: think that that's very relatable, especially the part where you know you talk about not seeing yourself represented in a given space. I think that that statement can resonate with many other black professional and especially other black students too, like myself included and that can for sure be a very isolating feeling at least from my experience and so that being said, have you ever felt as though your race and your gender have prevented you from trying to pursue
2: a given opportunity yeah it's a it's a great question and What I can say is that, you know, I often felt like I was I definitely felt I stood out. I definitely felt that I was different and I felt that I bore a responsibility that was heavier than other students who weren't the only, you know, student of a certain gender or race within their class. And that I felt that I was like the ambassador, you know, so in some ways I felt that I had to be better. um, And. You know, I think that was an extra pressure that I carried with me throughout med school and residency. And I wouldn't say that there were moments where my, my being Black or being a woman made me feel like I couldn't enter into a specialty, but that I had to be much stronger than the yeah. others to be yeah. able to to make the cut, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it was a different kind of pressure. And... um I have to say that, you know, it made things harder for myself because it wasn't anyone who told me that I had to be an ambassador or, you know, yep. carry the, the weight of my race, you know, in in my studies. But it was a pressure I put on myself, I guess, in many ways. Um, and uh, it motivated me, but I, I feel that it also made things challenging.
0: Absolutely. And I think part of medicine, we feel that we wear many different hats, whether it's wife, daughter, mother, physician, trainee. Do you find there's a difference in how you're perceived when you're not wearing the doctor hat and you're wearing, you know, person-in-the-mall hat or, you know, mom hat?
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. I mean... We all have our biases, right? And so I've definitely been subject to that where because of the way I appear, you know, I tend to be very casual in the way I dress and when I'm out with my family. And there have been times where I've been treated differently because of the way I look, because of my skin color, and I've been followed in stores. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely happened that, you know, because of my my race, that I I have experienced discrimination and bias um, in different contexts outside of medicine, but also, you know, within medicine, you know, um, I think we can all say that because of of bias, whether we want to admit it or not, um, there are challenges that racialized individuals will encounter in medicine. And I think we're becoming more aware of it as um, physicians, as healthcare providers in general. Um, and I think there are efforts that are definitely been made for us to be more aware of our biases and to mitigate them, but it impacts our interactions with one another. It impacts the way our patients navigate the system. Um, and it's something that we really need to be much more um, actively mitigating rather than just aware about. Um, but I, I digress a bit from your question. But yeah, depending on the the hat that I'm wearing, you know, when I'm with my daughter at her soccer practice, I'm I'm a mom, you know, and you know just like the other moms, she'll I I hear her telling me just like the other kids tell their moms, "Mom, be quiet, you're embarrassing me." You know, the <laughs> fact that <laughs> that you know uh, I'm a physician has no relevance there, right? Um, and and it's something that I you know I love, you know, being able to wear those different hats, um, but. The juggling act, you know, of being a mom, of being a physician, of being a teacher, um, it's, it's not always easy, um, but that's the, the nature of our our profession.
1: All right. So now we'd like to hear a bit more about your practice, more specifically the dynamic that you have with your patients. Have you noticed a difference in the way that black patients versus white patients
2: receive your presence when you walk into a room? Yes, I have perceived the difference. And actually, you know, I've actually been told by patients um, and their families that it it makes a difference seeing me as their physician. Um, I'm a hematologist, oncologist, and uh, my main area of expertise is with non-malignant hematology and a big interest of mine is related to hemoglobinopathy and sickle cell disease. So many of my patients, because of, you know, the way sickle cell disease came into North America, many of my patients in that clinic are Black. Um, and I've had families and even patients say, you know, that they're happy when they see me or that, you know, it inspires them to to know that they can also be physicians and we have many patients who aspire to to be in healthcare um as well as you know many many other professions and i think it really makes a difference to see someone who looks like you in a profession like medicine especially when you know like i didn't have anybody in my family who was a physician you know you may not have anybody around you to tell you about what it would be like to be in medicine or to encourage you to pursue it or to encourage you to pursue, you know, um, other uh, professions where perhaps it may be more competitive or or less straightforward to to get into that field.
1: Yeah, that's very valid. And and you've actually brought up a lot of interesting points. Like, for example, when you talk about many of your, some of your black patients feeling encouraged whenever they see you, a black physician, in the room, that actually throws me back to my pre med days whenever I would see a black medical student and I would just like desperately try to cling to them and just like ask them all my questions, try to find any kind of mentorship that I could from them. So I, I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I really agree with many of the points that you've just shared. And I'm quite happy to know that many of your relationships with your patients have been relatively positive. But I guess for other patients that for whom your the color of your skin tends to be a bit more important to them, how do you tend to navigate these relationships? And by that I mean, how receptive are they to your counseling when you do interact with them?
2: I will say that you know, having Come from a, a Ghanaian background, so you know my family immigrated to Canada in the '80s, um, and so my parents were born. I, I was actually born in Ghana as well, um, but I came as a as a baby, and we grew up with very Ghanaian traditions, but melded and you know uh, kind of intertwined with Canadian traditions as we became more Canadian. But I, I say that because I feel that that cultural experience helps sometimes in in bridging certain gaps with families. And, you know, I think that all of us as parents, you know, we want the best for our children. And I think that sometimes our hesitation around treatment decisions or recommendations comes from a place that may not um, necessarily resonate or be intuitive to the person who's making those recommendations. But sometimes I I found that having similar cultural backgrounds helps to, to bridge those gaps and to, to get a better understanding of why um, our patients and families sometimes are, are having difficulty with some of our recommendations and it helps to help them to navigate that. So I feel that in some senses it, it can be it can be helpful. But just like with any um relationship, uh physician patient relationship, you have to have boundaries too, because you know, it's not that you want to be overly familiar or you don't want to um, take advantage of that similarity in a in a way that would negatively impact the relationship or um, overly influence, I guess, um, the patient so that they're not, you know, making the decisions on their own. But you know, I, I do I do feel that it has been helpful. So in, in some circumstances.
0: There's an interesting study, and I'm sure both of you, Dr. Simpson and Julia, have heard of it. Um, a study by Greenwood et al. that came out in 2020 that examined racial concordance. Um, and it was, for the listeners who don't know, it examined 1.8 million hospital births in the state of Florida between 1992 to 2015. Um, and the, the results of the study actually suggested that newborn physician racial concordance was associated with a significant improvement in mortality of Black infants. And I think, to me, that was very powerful to read because I know there is a a movement for equity, diversity, and inclusion. And often, you know, Individuals, at least in my family, who are not in medicine, think of, yeah, we need that that representation among the the workforce, among the healthcare individuals, but now seeing that they actually can have ripples into the outcomes of patients, I think is more powerful. Have you noticed that in your practice? I mean, I know it's hard to track mortality. Um, and I hope I hope we're not having poor outcomes among, um, you know, CHEO patients, but have you noticed anything like that in your practice?
2: You know, and I am aware of this study, so thank you for bringing it up, and I guess in the vein of, you know, what I described around that having that cultural awareness or cultural understanding, um, it can be very helpful and powerful in, you know, connecting with patients and their families, and really getting a better understanding of where they're coming from and helping them to navigate the health system. I think that it makes sense that that racial concordance or cultural concordance can actually benefit patients. But with that being said, I think that cultural, like there's a a, notion, a concept called cultural humility, um, you know, talking about trying to understand an individual's culture and You know, not knowing everything about it, but really trying to understand where they're coming from and get a sense of what makes up their perspective or what gives them that perspective. And I think that that's something that can be learned and you don't necessarily have to come from the same culture to be able to adopt that. And so I think that inherently, if you come from the same culture, perhaps it comes more easily, but it doesn't mean it's not possible if you're from a different culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hadn't. I hadn't thought of that. I think it's important because we're not all gonna look
0: like everyone else, you know. And mm-hmm. living in Canada, we're so multicultural that it, it's. I think uh cultural humility is important. I don't know. You know, maybe Julia, it's different now in, in your stream, but I don't know if we learned that. D- did Did you have any kind of teachings on that, Julia? And I mean, I didn't, but maybe I'm forgetting.
1: No, actually, we didn't have any formal teaching on it. We do have uh, classes that we call SIM classes where we get to explore social issues in medicine, but we haven't touched the subject of race just yet. But we do talk about like other topics like religion or sexuality in medicine, how those can also very much impact the relationship between doctor and patient. So absolutely. All right, so for our listeners, Dr. Simpson is currently the Vice Dean of the Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Committee, also known as the EDI Committee, here at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. So Dr. Simpson, can you please tell us a little bit about how and why you chose to get involved
2: in EDI work? Thank you, Julia. And so I'll just correct you a little bit because you you promoted me. So my (laughs) position is as assistant dean for EDI, um, for the Faculty of Medicine. But yes, thank you. I'm not Vice Dean. But, uh, you know, maybe one day, who knows. But (laughs) um, so how did I get involved? So it's interesting in that, you know, advocacy for the Black community has always been really important to me. I spoke about my personal upbringing and my family and how important they were as part of my village that helped me to to really get to where I wanted to be. And um, in growing up within my family and from role modeling from my parents, I really, I think I really developed a, a desire to help others um, from the Black community. And so, you know, um, one thing I didn't mention was when I was going through my applications for medical school, there was a scholarship organization called the Quebec Black Medical Association. And so they provided scholarships that were really helpful for me to pay for my education and um Then later on, when I became a resident, I became involved with the Black Physicians Association of Ontario, and I'm still involved with that organization. And, you know, through this and other activities, I became a mentor, formally and informally for students who wanted to get into medicine, but primarily, particularly students from um, underrepresented communities and the Black community. Um, And this was something that I did kind of for lack of better word, uh, on the side of my desk, you know, it wasn't something formal. And, you know, it was in the time that I had um, outside of my working hours. And it was something that was really, really important to me. Um, And that's also what led me into uh, hematology and, and um, working with individuals with sickle cell disease and advocating for that group. And um, it all really just blended together. This has always been something that has driven me and really, propelled me into medicine, but also um, continues to motivate me. And so I was really fortunate in 2020 um, to take on a position as Black Health Theme Lead um, for the undergraduate program in the Faculty of Medicine at University of Ottawa, um, which was a great experience. And I, I had the opportunity to be Um, co-chair for the anti-racism curriculum working group, so you will be seeing anti-racism content coming to your curriculum um, in the near future, Um, and, you know, through that work um, and other opportunities, I came to learn about the opportunity um, for the assistant dean position for EDI and I think the rest is history. I mean it's you know it's only been a year and a year or so that I've been in this position, but i I feel very privileged in that it really gives an opportunity to educate our faculty on a broader scale as well as to really make recommendations around policy to improve e d i and and belonging for all of our faculty members um so that's a very long answer to your question <laughs> for how I got to that position.
0: I think the story gives us so much insight into why people do the things they do and someone told me recently which I thought was interesting that we can have EDI committees and we can establish them and promote them in our monthly newsletters but if we're not tracking the change that the committees drive we're kind of we're just paying lip service to the issue exactly
2: totally agree with you
0: so how are and at least, I know you can only speak at U auto, but how are we tracking the, the initiatives and the recommendations and, you know, how are we ensuring that your recommendations and your committee's recommendations that I'm sure are extremely well-informed are actually
2: being implemented and not just
0: being put onto the corner of someone's desk?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so important. And that's a, a big part of the work that's, um, that the EDI office is doing now where um, we developed surveys and tools to try to measure our performance related to EDI. So firstly, we had a survey of the entire faculty where we asked questions related to EDI and engagement in the faculty um, with respect to different aspects of EDI, whether it's cultural safety, trust, sense of belonging, um, et cetera. And um, that was a first step to kind of get a baseline. Um, to know where we're starting from. Um, We've also done an an environmental scan to see what resources we have in place, what the infrastructure is and what gaps exist within our faculty when it comes to enabling EDI and making recommendations around policy. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, So again, that's part of the starting point. And um, we're working with the executive leadership team. And actually um, I just presented the data from those uh, surveys to the ELT yesterday um so that the ELT who's very motivated and supported when it comes to EDI is aware of where we're starting from and then we're going to use that data to uh, inform our EDI action plan working group which has also been formed to make recommendations to improve and we're going to continue to monitor um how we're doing because you're right it it, it becomes lip service if if you're just saying things without looking for impact um and so the whole point is to do something that's impactful and has uh, leads to lasting change um so that we actually make a difference that's so encouraging to hear because i mean it, it's
0: crazy i only started medical school three years ago in 2019 and it so much seems to have changed, right? And we've gone through a pandemic and we're recovering from a pandemic and we're burnt out. But change is happening, which is really exciting. So it, it makes me, I think, rest a little bit easier mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> to Thank you for sharing a glimpse of your work with us. I think that what you guys are doing with the EDI is extremely valuable for future Black students that are looking to pursue the field of medicine. So on that note, what kind of advice would you offer another Black student that was also looking to follow into your footsteps and
2: pursue medicine? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, first and, and foremost, it's important that, you know, you have your village. Uh, whether that's you know family um or uh, professor that you really connect to or friends or other peers who um, are there to support you through the application process because it is a journey right and it feels like a bit of a black box um uh when uh, you haven't gone through it before um but i think that it's really important not to be afraid to ask questions um if there's somebody who's in the field um and you want to know more about it many physicians like myself um, who are working at the university are open to talking to students about what we do and what it means to be in medicine and what our journeys have been like so i think that's that's really something that you should take advantage of um, and many of us are happy to provide that insight but um, when it comes to applying to medicine and getting into medicine grades are you know the number one thing where you have to <laughs> you have to do as well as possible um when it comes to your grades because that's the one i think non-negotiable um element when it comes to applying to medical school and i think you know we we all want to be well-rounded it's important to experience other things and to you know um, be involved in different activities and you know test your leadership skills, build your, build your leadership skills. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing well, um, it's difficult to show that you have the ability to maintain the pace that is necessary to get through medical school and the rigor that's expected. Um, So I think that that's something that's, you know, really important. Um, And, I think it's also important to find a mentor. And so that's something that's really, it comes easier to some people than others. And I think now there are many groups that um, offer, um, you know, peer support around applying to medical school, workshops around writing letters, around preparing for the MCAT, the CASPER, things like that. But I think that through those groups, but also through asking people, like I described, you know, finding Uh, physician who you can talk to or who you can ask about the system, or even it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody in medicine, but somebody who is able to guide you through the process, I think is really invaluable because, you know, there's insight that they can bring to help you to bring your, put your best self forward, if that makes sense
1: yeah and i will just second your point on mentorship because i remember when i was applying to medical school uh two years ago i also had mentors i had both black and white mentors and i really felt the difference between the black and the white mentors because i felt that with my Black mentors, I was able to connect with them on such a much deeper level because they had been through the exact same thing that I had been through. Whenever I had questions, sometimes I wouldn't even need to ask questions for them to know that I had these questions because they had the same questions as I did. And so it definitely made a huge difference for me in my application to medicine. And you You mentioned mentioned that you were a mentor as well. So I want to say on behalf of all the mentees that we were very grateful for the work that you do and the, the advice and the wiseness that you bring to us like that really does help us for sure
2: it helped me get into medicine so thank you you're so welcome and uh you. you know i mean i say you're welcome on behalf of everybody who's, yeah. <laughs> who's contributing as a mentor um i think that it's a, a two-way relationship in that you know we also get a lot from connecting with you and supporting and having that bilateral mm-hmm. kind of uh, relationship. And that's, uh, you know, it's, it is really rewarding. And for us, it's because we we went through it. And we want to also help others as they navigate the system.
0: And uh, Dr. Simpson, the last question, because not only are you a Black physician, but you are, as you said, a pediatric hematologist, oncologist. So what drew you to that field? Did you wake up one day and you're like, that's it, I want to do, I want to treat pediatric <laughs> Hematology patients, or was it more peds and then it lended itself to hemong?
2: yeah, it was more it was more the latter, and actually that was um that was one important mentor I didn't mention, so my pediatrician um when I was growing up in Montreal was Dr Nana Graves. And so she is a Ghanian Canadian uh, woman. She's been on Sesame Street, so she's a celebrity too. Wow. Um, and <laughs> and she she was a really important um, inspiration for me. And you know, I I saw what she did and how she um, cared for myself and my sisters, and how she interacted with my family and my parents, and she was a huge um, inspiration. And so that's where everything started, I think. Although there are photos of me when I was about three, um, with a stethoscope that my parents had gotten for me, but (laughs) the persuasion started early. But, um, you know, just to say, seeing her her in that role, I think it's cemented in my mind, you know, and I think it really had an important impact And then, you know, going into med school, I was fairly certain I wanted to go into pediatrics. Um, I didn't feel that I was surgical. So you make that decision, that distinction between being medical or surgical pretty early on. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I went through my clinical rotations, that really um, solidified pediatrics for me in that I felt like I found my tribe. You know, there were people there who were practicing medicine in a style that fit the style I wanted to practice in. And, you know, I really loved working with children and their families. Whereas, you know, some of my classmates wanted the exact opposite. <laughs> <because> they, <laughs> they didn't want to work with families, but anyways, that was something that really, really um, motivated me. <clears throat> and then it was when I was in residency. Um, I did my residency in Toronto at SickKids that I Started being very interested in hematology oncology. I liked it as a medical student, but I wasn't sure that I was emotionally built to work with patients and patients who could be dying or who had, you know, life threatening um, illnesses. But it was when I went through my rotations as a resident that I really fell in love with it. And, you know, that blend of, you know, Acute care, long term relationships and advocacy. These were all things that were um really a great fit for me and I were really appealing to me.
0: And you have some procedural, you know. I did my first lumbar puncture with you, Dr. That's Sim. right. Yeah. <laughs> so you you have it all. And you and the patient population is quite special.
2: You know, everybody will be biased towards their specialty, but I feel that in Chemonk it's just a very you have a very privileged relationship uh, that's very long term you know for example in our sickle cell clinic we see babies who are screened through newborn screening so we meet them as early as you know six weeks of age sometimes even earlier and then we follow them until they're 18 and there aren't many specialties where you can do that Mm -hmm. you know there are some but uh, you know, it, it is somewhat special and unique.
1: Thank you for sharing your experience. I think that this is honestly very eye opening and provides a lot of insight. I think, especially for young Black girls, whenever they hear someone or see someone who's done what they want to do, it really does make a difference. When I was a medical student, I Many times I was very discouraged about medicine, but whenever I would see a Black medical student or see a Black doctor, it would just lighten up my day and just tell me, you know what, if she could do it, I can definitely do it. And so you coming on here, sharing your experience, I think that will make a light of a difference for many young Black girls listening to this. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Simpson and Julia for joining us on this seventh episode. My name's Camila Alibi.